Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslim in the Room podcast. Your host, Asma Hussein, Iman Ahmed, and Zainab Zafar are three Canadian Muslim women. Every week, they will discuss issues that are relevant to the celebration, growth, and empowerment of Muslim women in the West. They will confront some of the social issues affecting us through thought-provoking topics. We would love for you to join us. You can do that by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. But for now, join us and let's get into today's episode. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslim in the Room. Today we're talking about something that's been discussed quite a bit in the Muslim community over the past decade or so, which is a concept of quote-unquote profiting off of Islam. So in recent years, and I'd say actually in the past 15 years or so, a lot of paid courses and programming on Islam have been cropping up. And this took a lot of people by surprise at the beginning, but now it's gotten to the point where it's the norm to pay for classes. And like I don't know if you guys remember, but at the beginning, I remember there was a lot of resistance to the idea of making money off of teaching a religion. Right? But I'm wondering, like, are we still on that same wavelength? And then another question I have is, does the system of learning create barriers for people who can't afford it? These are great questions. And uh, the topic of monetizing Islam has always been on my mind. And uh, the idea of student of knowledge and scholars charging for classes and um, students paying a higher amount to learn Islam. There are so many layers to, uh, to this topic to discuss, but speaking out generally, Islamically speaking, there is it is permissible for the student of knowledge to charge for their time that they're contributing because they have bills to pay as well, right? But the question becomes, is this knowledge accessible to those who are disadvantaged in terms of classes? So there are many points here to discuss. I would go with the fact that it is obviously permissible. And as long as we are mindful of where we're spending our money, and if we are spending it in the cause of learning Islam, why not? You know, it's interesting, Zaina, because you brought up that it's permissible. And I think why there was resistance at the beginning is because a lot of people actually deemed it to be impermissible, right? Mm -hmm. um, because in the early years of Islam, scholars and people who would go around teaching, they'd actually receive stipends from the public treasury. They would be compensated basically by the government or whatnot without actually putting it out there to their students like this amount of learning is going to cost this much, right? Mm -hmm. But because we no longer have that system in place, especially in the West, you don't have anything like stipends or compensation or that kind of thing. It's only a little bit more recently in history like that it was allowed for scholars to actually ask for money for specific services. I, it's interesting because like it did start off as something that we truly believed was impermissible, that like mm -hmm. somebody could charge money for teaching Islam. And then only, I would say, really only in recent history have we come to a point where we now accept that it's actually permissible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you, Asma. But you know, when you were talking about the stipend that the government is giving, I know that in some countries, it's not necessarily the government that gives it to them. It's more so community members, institutions, organizations that have fundraising efforts to keep them sustained, the, the people of knowledge, of course. So I guess it depends on where you live <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, the system mm -hmm. that they have in place. But here in the West, we don't have that kind of system in place. So what should we do in our circumstance? And I always wonder, like, you know, in student of knowledge, you know, here they are like uh, leaving off at their prime years to gain knowledge and then they're coming back and now they're on their own with their families to kind of just make it through this capitalist system. Where is the community? So we have a lot of work to do in our community to 
somehow create a system that actually really gives student knowledge a chance to grow so that they can learn knowledge without that fear of not able to provide for their families. I agree. We do need a system. But then that sort of system where people who advocate for such a system aren't successful because people in the community frown upon the fact that people should be paid for Islamic content that is being taught, right? So I know of situations where someone will say, you know what, let's hire so-and-so. He doesn't want to, or she doesn't want to ask for money, but you know, let's put together some money so that this person can teach our children Quran, for example. And then there is, it's like opening a can of worms where people would be like, but then how can you monetize the fact that you're teaching the Quran and isn't that wrong? And then people are Mm -hmm. immediately discouraged. And so the system is broken before it even started. So why do we have this mentality, especially here in our Western communities? Well, do you mean like the mentality? Because like, I, I find that a lot of times I come across this mentality of like making money is bad. For, for any yeah. kind of Islamic content, exactly. not even like courses, but like any kind of Islamic content, people expect like a really, really cheap price or for it to be given away for free. And I think that's also super problematic because there are a lot of people working in the community who literally do this for their full-time job. And they've been doing it for like years and sometimes decades where they're working so, so hard to actually mm-hmm. put out content, not just for people our age, but like our children. And then what ends up happening is that like Muslims don't want to pay. They're just like, everything should be free. It's almost like we can't fathom the fact that like it costs money to create good things for our community and that we also have to be willing to invest back into those systems, right? Into like good content for our kids or like Islamic courses or whatever. Absolutely. You know, I was struggling with this, Asma, this past Ramadan, I was teaching a group of kids uh, du'as and Some people approach me and they're like, well, why aren't you charging for it? I guess we have both mentalities in our community. But for me, as a person, you know, I guess you can call me the content creator. I struggled with charging people to teach kids dua. I was like, how am I going to charge a family? Isn't this my job? Maybe the mentality is coming from the idea that spreading knowledge is an obligation upon every Muslim. And the fact that like, this was the conversation I was having with myself. And I thought to myself, isn't this an obligation upon me? Wasn't I supposed to do this anyway? Forget charging people. And what happened to the hadith where the Prophet says, they even if it's just a single verse. So this is where my conflicting feelings, I guess, surfaced from. And then I was like, well, no, and then I decided not to. So maybe mm-hmm. our mentality is coming from, I don't know, these fundamental understanding that seeking knowledge and spreading knowledge are both an obligation. Iman, I think that's a really, really good point. It's almost like the spirit of, of our religion, this idea of volunteerism, that you're doing things for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sometimes does get lost yeah. in, in our current like way of thinking that we should be charging for everything and whatnot. And I think it has to come in some kind of balance. Like we have to have people who are willing to do the volunteer work, right? Because a lot of Islamic work is volunteer work. Even people who make like YouTube videos and a lot of resources are free. That's really important. And we should never lose sight of the fact that if we're in this to gain reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we're doing it even for free, that's not going to diminish our reward. And then on top of that, like I always believe that when you do something good for free, and people benefit from it, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts barakah what you have, right? Like he blesses mm-hmm. the other things that you have. That's um, so, so I don't think we should you ever, know? yeah, I don't think we should ever diminish that. And if you feel like you want to offer this as something exactly. free, 
mm-hmm. then definitely. And this idea that like, oh, why aren't you charging for it? That's also problematic, right? Because like, if you've decided I don't want to charge for this, just want it to be something free, that's amazing, yeah. right? And that shouldn't be, <laughs> it's, it's funny because you can Both never ways. satisfy everyone, yeah. right? It's either you guys are charging, why are you guys charging? Or, hey, why aren't you guys charging? <laughs> I know, I was thinking about that. <laughs> but you know, Asma, I think, and Zainab, I think this is where we struggle. We don't mm-hmm. know where to draw the line. Like, where do you draw the line? That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, I think from my perspective, I was in a unique position where this wasn't my only source of income. And so this obviously encouraged me to Mm -hmm. offer it for Mm -hmm. free because I don't have to worry (laughs) about my livelihood. Whereas some other people, they have to worry about their livelihood. And if they don't charge, Mm -hmm. how will they eat? I think, yeah, yeah. we have to differentiate between those who are charging so that they make a living versus those who want to do it for for free. And if we want to do it for free, that's great. But if we're charging, then let that be also great too, because there are people who are trying to afford bills to pay so that they've learned Islam and they've came back with amazing amount of knowledge that to share, but they also need to afford themselves financially as well. So I think we need to differentiate between that. But it's the entire relationship with money as well, right? What's our relationship with money? And it goes back, like, do we think negative when we say, if somebody's rich, how do we feel about that? So this negative association with money also needs to be questioned because then that may, makes it seem like anything is being charged, like an Islamic course that is being charged. Now it has a high amount and therefore this is wrong for it to do so because we assume that somebody who's making money off it is obviously doing something wrong. Do you, do you yeah. ladies, see you know where I'm going with this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zainab, you know, I was thinking about the same thing. Why do we think money is bad? I was reflecting and then I thought back to the life of the prophet's eyes. And I was trying to figure out why do we have this negative association with money? Why is it always bad? And I remembered prophet ever since he became a prophet, he wouldn't keep valuable things, right? Even when he was gifted things, he would give it away. Could it be this, like, I don't know, is, is our mentality kind of inspired from the way the prophet lived his life? how he didn't like to keep things that were super expensive. We all know where he lived and how he lived within his home. We know the type of clothes sometimes he would wear that they weren't the most luxurious clothing, even though he could have afforded it, even though he could have worn it, but he still avoided it. And of course, there are situations when process and did wear luxurious clothing. But then again, we would always see that the process would give it away. Do you remember the story when he when he was gifted this beautiful, what is it called, Esma? The one that they put... Like a cloak? Like yeah, like a cloak. Remember? It was so beautiful. And I think there was an, a Sahabi or one of them who, who really enjoyed looking at it. And then he immediately just took it off of him and gave it to him. I don't know. Something to think about. No, yeah, Iman, that's a good point. But at the same time, I, I still feel we need to differentiate between giving sadaqa and obtaining wealth. For example, like Abdurrahman bin Auf, when he came to Medina, thanked his guests for the, for the gift that was given to him. But he said, you know, show me where the market is. Show me where the way to make money is. And that's where I'm going to work on. And he was one of the richest Sahaba. So the association with money and being a negative association with money, you're right. Giving sadaka and having owing less yeah. and giving out more is important. But at the same time, we need to give people chances if they need to you know, grow financially. That what's wrong with charging and you know, monetizing Islam if they are making money through that and supporting their family? And then also not only that, but putting that money into institutions to grow further. 
Zainab, I agree with you. There, We know a lot of companions who are wealthy. But I feel like the difference back then is that they weren't wealthy for themselves. They didn't live in this, in this standard in which they can afford. And in fact, whatever wealth they gained, it was immediately given back to the community. So yes, they were seeking to, like you said, to make money. But it was never for themselves. And I think that's the difference between now and then. I don't know. Okay, so I I actually really agree with you guys. But there are two hadiths that I remember now. And I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember the exact wording. But one of them, Prophet says, the strong believer is better than the weak believer. People have interpreted this in many different ways. But strength is in terms of all sorts of different types of strength. And one of them is financial. And then there's another hadith where Prophet says, the upper hand is better than the lower. So like the hand that gives and the hand that provides is more noble in a way than the hand that's always asking for more and more and more. So this concept of gaining wealth and being that kind of person in your community that's able to fund programs and that's able to do things is actually really amazing. But at the same time, when you think about wealth, I don't think it's 100% fair to say that they didn't gain it for themselves. Obviously, the Sahaba were always on another level. So that's just like another perspective to add to it. I have another thing to say. (laughs) I don't know if anybody wants to respond to that first. I want to say, Asma, I agree with you. There's absolutely nothing wrong with with gaining wealth. There's nothing wrong. I mean, it's all halal at the end of the day. And I think the fact that where our money goes is what we're talking about. And so... When it comes to that, I think it goes back to your level of Iman, right? Because depending on your Iman level is really how much you're going to give. That's what I personally believe. I mean, if we look at the, let's just take a look at the example of the Udhiyah, right? The Prophet what was the sunnah that he would do? He would keep a third for himself and a third for the family members, right? And then the third was for charity. And I feel like, honestly, that should be foundational for all of our wealth. This is how we should be spending our wealth in general, if we can afford it to spread it this way, no matter what your income is. And if, again, if you can afford it, that is. So that's something to think about. But I don't mm-hmm. think it's a matter of right or wrong. I think it's a matter of how we're spending it and how we're making meaning of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but like one of the things that I wanted to, to bring up is the importance of building institutions, like Islamic yeah. learning institutions. Mm-hmm. And if you look past like 15, 20 years, at least locally in the West, like in Toronto, like we live in Toronto, there wasn't a lot. You guys, there really wasn't a lot. And I think, what year was it? I feel like it was 2005 when Al-Maghrib first came to Toronto and I took their first course and I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Like I've never learned this way before. And so I think building institutions is actually really important and we should be willing to financially support it. Because when you have institutions that use teachers who you know have qualifications, who've actually studied and gotten degrees in Islam, like who specialized in whatever their specializations are, it's really important to support that. Because right now we're at a stage where anyone that has a platform can start spreading quote unquote Islamic knowledge or can start their own institution or put out videos on Islam. And we've seen like videos out there and content that has really, really incorrect information. Yes. And that's one of the reasons also I think it's important to actually invest, even if, like, invest your own money by taking courses with institutions that you know have qualified mm-hmm. teachers, qualified instructors, and that kind of mm-hmm. thing, because these are the things that we actually need. You know, mm-hmm. like, we have access to everything. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, I can go online right now and create a video 
talking about whatever I want to talk about and put it online. And who knows, it might go viral, it might get a million views mm -hmm. and everything in the video could be wrong. Yeah. And so Absolutely. I think it's never actually been more important to, to invest in, in teachers and programming and stuff that we know is coming from a place of actual mm -hmm. learning. Absolutely. We should also look into who can we take classes from when we're looking at taking any sort of Islamic classes, what should be the requirement? Because you can nowadays turn on any of these social media and anyone could be talking, right? What are your thoughts on that? Because everybody's now trying to teach Islam and who has the right way of, you know, because us, at least we can differentiate between, okay, well, no, that doesn't sound right because we've been taking courses and we've been indulged in learning knowledge. But imagine if you have a new Muslim or imagine if you have somebody who's just learning Islam and then not everybody's now trying to teach Islam. Absolutely, Zainab. And I feel like um, nowadays everybody's a scholar. <laughs> I'm sorry. But thanks to Google, everybody's a scholar now. Sheikh Google is the ultimate scholar. <laughs> We all learn from Sheikh Google. <laughs> but the reality is, I feel like, like you said, like you both said, we, people need to learn where they can receive information, credible information from. Because you can throw in a Google search and lo and behold, you will be given all sorts of information, misinformation, incorrect information, and people just run with it. And I feel like it's because people now do this thing called like, I don't know if it's a thing, but it's kind of like Islamic shopping where it's like you have an idea and then you want supporting evidence. So you go through a Google search and, and try to find a verse that somehow, you know, <laughs> confirms your beliefs. And then mm -hmm. you go ahead mm -hmm. and, and add that in to show your credibility. Like, look, my idea is sound because this is the verse that you know supports it even though if the the verse can mean something completely different than the context that you're providing and i feel like it's so dangerous mm. back in the day you guys scholars like big time scholars scholars that did nothing but study their religion would start their conversations with what right away when someone asked them a question they would put out a disclaimer to say i don't know right like i don't know this this is how you knew someone was a scholar because they would they would be very careful of taking that responsibility upon themselves, right? Because any word you convey, if it's wrong, will have a detrimental effect because that word is going to be, you know, conveyed to someone else and the next generation, it will have a detrimental effect. So that's something definitely to consider. So where to go from here then? What, you know, should Muslim scholars charge for classes? What should our relationship be with money? How should system approach this? Like, you know, Islamic institutions, how should they take a lead in, in approaching this? What are your thoughts on that? I think, like I said before, it's important to support Islamic institutions. Like, this is what I believe, right? Because mm -hmm. of everything that we've talked about. And at the same time, though, I'm always wary of the systems that we create. Are they excluding people? Because in Absolutely. reality, mm -hmm. yes, perhaps I can afford to pay $100 for a course. Or back in the day, back in like when it first started, for example, a lot of the courses were like more than $100, $150, $160. Maybe I could afford something like that. But for one person who can afford it, there's 100 people who can't, you know, who genuinely Absolutely. that $100 is like is a lot of money. Right. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. in our pursuit of creating these good systems, which I support, we should always understand that there are people who aren't as well off financially 
as other people. And we should do everything in our power to make sure that that knowledge is still accessible to them. Because the last thing that we want to do is create a two-tiered system where there are where only people who are well-off can really study the religion and people who are not well-off don't have access mm-hmm. to it. Because mm-hmm. that, for me, like that goes against everything that we believe. Yeah. Right? Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, Esma. And I think my takeaway is when it comes to monetizing Islam, there's two aspects of it. There's the aspect of the content that you're creating, if you are the content creator that is Islamic based, or that you are a content creator and you're Muslim. And in both cases, I think one of the verses that I always like to reflect to is the verses in Surah Al-Mutafifin, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends a warning to people who are happy to receive full payment, but only deliver partial of it. They view themselves as optimizers, but really are people who take advantage of situations. And I feel like this is becoming prevalent in the practice of trying to make money, trying to make more money, trying to be rich, right? And this applies obviously to every aspect of life as well. I mean, we should always strive to give more than we receive as Muslim individuals. And we must always prioritize our integrity. Everything's not about money and how to monetize it, because at the end of the day, this will fade. But it goes back to our faith and serving people from a place of ihsan and excellence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also a relationship with money as well. And if, you know, money is a ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how do we give out that in this, for the sake of Allah? Because it's the blessings that we have that we will be questioned about. So if we're questioned about money, how do we spend in the way of Allah? But not the idea of us obtaining more money. But what do we do with that as a result? Because if somebody has a formula that works, that's beautiful because we can now take that money and invest it back into the community, invest it back in, into the youth who are disadvantaged and are not able to take classes because of their financial circumstances. That's my take on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just, just to make one more point, totally agree. And I also think that we should still hold speakers and teachers accountable for what money they're taking and whether they're providing the service, right? And Iman brought this up in um, the, the verses from Surah Al-Mutafifin because now we have like speakers and you hear about them that charge like literally like $10,000 to come to a wow. conference and speak, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's two sides to every coin, right? So yes, we want to support institutions, but we also want institutions and speakers and scholars to behave in ethical ways. And we so should be able to hold them accountable mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hold them and ourselves accountable at all times. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our topic on monetizing Islam. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Go ahead and join us on Instagram at the Muslim in the Room and let us know what you think. And until next time, assalamualaikum. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We would love to hear your thoughts, so be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and tell us what you think. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And to connect with us a little bit more, join us over at Instagram at the handle The Muslim in the Room. Tune in next week for another thought-provoking, or who knows, maybe even a little controversial episode. Until then, take care and assalamualaikum.